listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Every time in church when I begin a new series of studies on a book of the Bible, I, I start with certain expectations. I thought coming to study First Timothy that we'd spend much time dealing with church issues such as eldership, deacons, prayer, etc. Yeah, what has struck me is how often we've come back to the same basic truth, namely that being a Christian changes everything. When you're born again of the Spirit of God and you come to know the Lord, that has a tremendous impact upon your work life, your family, your church, your position in society. Being a Christian is not simply about being right with God legally, but it is about living right before God morally. Those who have enjoyed the blessing of forgiveness of sins are those also who, who live out that forgiveness as they seek to honour God in this life. And so as we begin a new study today, I want to ask you the question afresh. Does being a Christian make any difference in your life? Has it impacted your life? Or perhaps your life is a mess and you want to know what it is to walk rightly before God. Well, to begin with that, you must begin with finding Christ. And so we are today returning to 1 Timothy and the chapter 6. And let me read to you the words of verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy 6 and the verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting. Amen and amen. Let's bow together in prayer as we come to consider the word of God. Eternal God and our Father, we thank you again for inspiring your servant Paul to write this letter to his son in the faith. We thank you for its direction to all of our souls and help us, O Lord, to consider it carefully afresh today and that we would be those who hear the word of God and also those who do it. So give us help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first, Timothy is a very personal letter. It's written by Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. These men clearly had a relationship of much affection. Paul, the father in the faith, nurturing and leading Timothy on in the things of God. And so in this 
personal letter, there has been much instruction regarding church life and pastoral ministry. But these verses that we come to afresh today are very personal. Verse 11 begins, But thou, O man of God. The word of God speaks to us personally. It comes to us in a way that only we can answer the call of God. No man can answer it for us. We must recognize that we stand before God personally accountable. And so Paul gives Timothy some very clear direction here. And these verses are packed full of helpful and edifying material. And we will take several weeks to work through them together. But to begin with today, note the overall structure. You will see that Paul reminds Timothy of the calling he possesses, but thou, O man of God. Then he presents to Timothy certain commands. There are four imperatives that come in two groups of two. He tells him to flee and to fight. He tells him to follow and to lay hold of. Flee these things and follow. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Those commands, again, are are searching and we will take time to consider them together. And then finally, he gives him a charge. He places upon him this charge that is emphasized, verse 13 through 16. I give thee charge in the sight of God that thou keep this commandment without spot until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the overall structure of these verses and that's the direction we will take in the coming studies. So for today, please note that Paul reminds Timothy of the calling that he possesses. He is a man of God. Paul was well versed in the Old Testament scriptures and the title man of God is a solemn title used for the servant of the Lord. In our Old Testaments, it's reserved almost entirely for Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah and Elisha. It gives certain implications to Timothy as he served God in the New Testament church. It indicates that he was appointed by God, serving under God, with a message from God. Undoubtedly, Timothy was one who was appointed of God. In the very first chapter, Paul reminds Timothy that he could charge him because Timothy had been called under certain prophecies which went before on him, 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. The implication was that he was uniquely given the gift of God and there was uh, prophecies regarding Timothy that he was going to serve God. He had the gift of God in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. He's a man who's appointed of God. He's a man as a man of God who's serving under God. The sense of the words, O man of God, is, Timothy, you're God's man. He belongs to God. He, he's accountable for his life as one who serves under the authority of God. And he has a message from God. That's the sense of the Old Testament. That These were men who were given a word from God. They served as prophets who spoke a word from the Lord. And this term, Man of God is used more generally for New Testament ministers. It's used that way in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
we, we know verse 16 very well regarding the assurance of the inspiration and the sufficiency of the word of God. And verse number 17 says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, in the context, the Paul is referring to false teachers in verse number 13. He says there, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then in verse 14, he says, but continue thou, Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And the sense is that Timothy was to be a true minister, not a false teacher, but a true minister. And he was to exercise his responsibility by preaching the word of God. He's charged solemnly by Paul in the opening verses of the chapter 4 to preach the word. It indicates to us that the reference to the man of God in chapter 3 is a reference to Timothy as a gospel laborer. Hence, there is a generality of application from this term man of God to every New Testament minister. They are charged to preach the word of God. They are reminded uh, that they have a solemn privilege, authority as a gospel minister. They indeed are appointed by God, serve under God, and they have a message from God, namely the scriptures. And the New Testament minister must always keep in mind that they are indeed a man of God. And so Paul reminds Timothy that no one should despise his youth, but that he must be an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and in purity. He is to take heed to himself and unto the doctrine. This is what it is to be a pastor, a minister of the New Testament. Timothy is to be an example of the life of godliness. And that applies to all New Testament ministers. It is an affront to the gospel when those who seem to preach the gospel do not live the gospel. And so perhaps if you're listening in to this message today and you're a pastor, I want to just simply remind you of your responsibility. You're a man of God. Make sure that you continue to serve under the authority of God and only bring those messages that come from God. And I certainly would ask every believer, please, please be faithful in praying for your pastors. The responsibility is very weighty. The privilege is glorious. But it is our duty to serve under God and bring God's word. And so please pray for us. Pray that we would know the help of God as we seek to labor under the Lord. And so Paul has reminded Timothy of the calling that he possesses. He is a man of God. And then secondly, and we will only begin to consider this second heading today, Note the commands that he presents. I've said already there are four imperatives here. Flee, follow, fight, and lay hold on. And these four imperatives, they they really come in two groups of two. Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And then also the second group, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. So let's begin considering these four imperatives. First of all, he is to flee, to flee. Well, the word it simply means to run. It's used here in the command tense. 
And it's interesting when you see how the word is used in the scriptures. It illustrates exactly what's involved. It's used in Matthew chapter 2 in the verse number 13. That the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Uh, this is when Christ is just a young child. And the angel says to Joseph, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And of course the context there is that Herod is threatening the life of the Lord. And so Joseph is to flee from danger. It's also used in Matthew 24 verse 16. Once more regarding danger, the danger when the Roman authorities will lay siege upon Jerusalem. And the Lord's warning is to say to the people, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, run from the danger. It's also used in chapter 26 of Matthew and the verse number 56 after the arrest of the Lord, where it says, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Once more, that they had a perception of danger, and they, they are running from that danger. So the word itself, to flee, is, is really very straightforward. It is to run quickly away from danger. It implies that we, as the people of God, must be aware of danger. These things indicates the danger. Thou, O man of God, flee these things. It points us back to the verse number 10, which says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul is telling Timothy to flee from these things. The danger in view is the eternal loss of the soul, Paul is warning Timothy, a minister of the gospel, to flee from those things that could damn his soul. Paul does not say to Timothy, Timothy, I know you can't be lost. I know your soul is eternally secure, but just run away anyway. This is not a hypothetical situation. Paul presents a danger to Timothy, and the danger is the love of money, the love of money that will ruin his soul. He has told him of others who have erred from the faith as a result of this love of money. And so Paul tells Timothy to run, and he has to run because it is a real danger. We must be very clear as to our doctrine of eternal security. We do believe that souls that are saved are born again and are kept by the power of God. But such doctrine does not stop apostles and the Lord himself warning people about things that are dangerous to their souls. I believe that those who ultimately fall away were never saved in the first place. But we are presented in the word of God with very clear warnings of the danger of falling away. You can see the language of Hebrews 4, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10. And the warnings are real. And surely if they apply to Timothy, then they apply to us. We must guard ourselves and flee the danger of being consumed with the love of money. We must be aware of the danger and aggressive in departure. We've got to run for our lives. That's the sense of the word here. Joseph and Mary, they, they ran. They ran for their lives, bringing the Lord with them. We think of the Disciples who fled from the Lord, oh, they, they were acting in carnal 
cowardice, but they were running for their lives. This was this was not a matter that required some casual exercise. They they fled for their lives from the danger that they perceived. And so it must be in our spiritual exercises that in the direct application that we would guard our hearts from materialism, that we would guard our hearts from the love of money. But in a secondary application, we as Christians must run rapidly from every sin. I think of Romans chapter 13 and the verse 13 where it says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Joseph is the pattern of this, making no provision for his flesh. He fled from the allurements of Potiphar's wife. Such a fleeing from sin must be the mindset of every single child of God. Sometimes the young believer will wonder how close to the world can they come. They will engage in dangerous practices in their courtship, in their dating relationships. How far can we go? How close to sin can we go without sinning? How much alcohol can I consume before I'm drunk? How much worldly music can I listen to before it consumes me? How much of the world can I consume by way of entertainment and movies and television before it overwhelms my soul? Oh, the the matter for the child of God is, is not to get as close as they can. It is to run. It is to flee. It is to get away from those things that will destroy the soul. And so that's what Paul is telling Timothy. And I echo those words to you listeners today. Flee these things. But the second imperative that comes alongside is to follow. Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience and meekness. As you run from danger, you are to pursue and chase these virtues. The word follow that's used here, follow after, it is to pursue after. We think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 15 where Paul says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. There is this following, this pursuit of that which is good. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is using the athletic imagery uh, and he describes his own spiritual journey. And he says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In the athletic realm, he's pursuing the prize. He's chasing after likeness to Christ. Well, we are to run from sin to godliness. In the next letter that Paul will write to Timothy, he tells him, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He, here's Paul's pastoral burden for Timothy. He wants Timothy to be free from the sins of this world and to pursue those things that matter in terms of godliness and likeness to Christ. Now we'll come back to the list of virtues that Paul highlights here. But for now as we close, please note that flee and follow, they come together. Satan is 
quite content for us to run from one sin to another. Sometimes people, they are like the young person taking rides in the amusement park. They run from the roller coaster to another roller coaster to some other ride to something else and they run rapidly from one thing to another. And so it often is in the life of the unbeliever. They will run from drunkenness to sex. They will run from gossip to jealousy. They will run from bitterness to anger. And so they will leave off one vice and rapidly pursue another vice. We are not to run after nothing. We are not to leave off sin and then simply exercise our lives in some moral vacuum. We must make sure that as we flee from sin, so then we are running unto godliness. Again, that's what Paul has told Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. He says the same thing to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee but follow. Oh, this is what it is to be a child of God. We must remember that Christ Jesus came into this world to set us free from our sins. He delivers us from the bondage of our sins. We're set free from the penalty. We are no longer under the law. We're no longer under the curse. But we've come to hate our sin. And it's out of hatred from sin that we flee from our sin. But we've also come to love Christ. And we see in him the beauty of godliness. We, we see in Christ the beauty of Christian character. And we want to be like him. And so we flee from our sin and we follow after likeness to our Savior. This is not some higher standard of piety this is the, the very fundamentals of what it is to be a child of God. And tragically, such Christianity is rare in our day. People are consumed with all manner of idols. The idol of power and possessions. The idols within politics. The idols uh, with, with the people with whom we live. We have no difficulty in forming idols. And we'll give ourselves to all of those idols. But may we know what it is. To know true freedom, freedom from our sin, and freedom to be made like unto Christ Jesus. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And we will return to these matters in our next study. Let me close today's broadcast with a word of prayer, asking for the help of the Spirit of God, if we are to obey the word of God today. Eternal God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the success of Christ's work on our behalf. We thank you for one who gave himself that we might live. We rejoice that he is indeed the perfect saviour. And we pray that his work will be accomplished in the hearts of those listening. And that in particular, they would know by grace the ability to pursue holiness. O oh Lord, bless your word to your hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.